funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Well, I've got a few classes I like, but minority, like, there's not too many things I like about it. I don't know, it was just the mentality of it. Like our principal's going around saying, we're all one big happy family, but she's got this devil trident thing which she pokes us in if we're even a minute late. And then all the stuff on being a clan and being together and just, I don't like it at all. I hate homework. I, I don't really get the point of it. When it's work time, we're not allowed to talk or anything. Talking out of turn and not really looking at the speaker which is the teacher most of the times. They find it respectful. My worst teacher, she gives extra homework, even if it's only one person talking, and she gives loads of homework as well. It's quite annoying, actually. It depends on the teacher, because some classes we can talk out loud, and other ones, we, if you make a word, it's bad luck. And some teachers I do things like pack up early or something, but other teachers, if you, you can't talk, we're not really allowed to do anything unless the teacher tells us to. Nobody brings their phone into school because they'll get into trouble. She might just like give out to you a little bit or you have this thing and you could go on like a warning, but if you talk again, you go on timeout. So in the yard, there's this box and you have to stand in the box for like five minutes during yard time. If you break any rules um, in our class, you could go up steps. And, like, it's really easy to get on steps. So say if you get in trouble, so it's... So you're on step one, which is just a warning. You're on step two, which is write your name on the board so then people who come will see your name. Step three is to go to the manners table. And step four, which is go to a different table in a different room, and so on until expulsion. Think back. What were your least favourite parts of school? If you were anything like me, they were the things you were made to do. The subjects you just didn't enjoy. Maybe it was maths. Maybe physics. Maybe you hated gym. Now imagine a school where you didn't have to do anything you didn't want to. A school with no exams, no homework, no classes, not even any teachers. What if I were to tell you that not only does that school exist, it's right here in Dublin, in a regular semi-D, near the cold, unfinished boom-era monstrosity of the Sandyford Industrial Estate. Normally I'd get in about half nine and I'd probably start playing guitar, violin, or sometimes even piano. And I'd work on my music probably until about... 11 or even 12 sometimes and then I have lunch and then after that it's either I'm reading or I'm uh, studying Japanese and then I do art for the rest of the day. Some days we we go outside as a park just down the road from here and we go there a lot and we have like a rugby ball and everything. It's quite like chill and relaxed. Recently I've started playing guitar again, so I usually practice guitar or do artwork. At the beginning of the year like I sat around and talked to people more, but now I've, that I've really like gotten used to being in the school, I think I'm doing more now. I'm learning Spanish and American Sign Language. I keep up with regular maths. I'm writing a book with my family. I'm doing a few week courses from different universities and I'm doing stuff in psychology and nutrition. 
and I'm doing Irish and doing some stuff on history just every now and then I might do a project or something and then for art I just do whatever I feel like doing. You can do anything you like you can go on your device the whole day or you can read a book the whole day or you can do art for the rest of your life in the school and I really like it and in my old school, it was only classes, so my age people would be in that class. But I really like hanging out with teenagers. Wicklow Sudbury School challenges every assumption we hold about education. This is a school where children as young as seven and as old as 18 work together. A place where young people are free to do whatever they want, whenever they want. I'm Ed and I'm 13. I just went straight from primary school into this school. I've noticed how like, I feel a lot more comfortable around kids older than me. I used to feel almost like afraid of them, like they were like different or like a different species or something. But now I feel a lot more relaxed or welcome around people that are older than me and younger kids. I've made friends that are like nine and I, I never would have imagined that I w- ever would. I'm Sara, 14, and I would be in third year, so I would be doing my junior cert, but I'm not doing that. I guess when you're in a mainstream school, you're separated into the same age group. And I guess in some ways it's a benefit. You're all the same age and you're all the same mental age. But then in some ways it's, it's nice to have people younger than you. You have a responsibility then. You have a role to set for some of the younger children because I'd be one of the older eldest ones. Hello. <laughs> it's recording. Trying to record my drawing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> What is your favorite square? My favorite square is a triangle. You're stupid. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> my name is Faye. I would be in fourth class and I am nine years old. In my old school, the sixth classers were really mean in the fifth classers. And now in this school, they're all really nice and like, oh, do you do you want this or do you want help with that? Or And in my old school, they're just really like, uh, I don't really want to do anything with you, those age people. In this school, I can hang out with anybody because they're really nice. And it's quite fun with the teenagers because they're like, oh, this happens and that happens, and they can, be, they can explain it in a funny way. This radical form of schooling has been running in the United States for almost 50 years. But can it work here? This documentary visits the fledgling school, We'll meet staff and students and explore what they found lacking in conventional education. In the process, we'll see just what Irish education can learn from the free school. You can do anything, um, but also we have uh, a sign saying it's kind of like a chore job thing and it says like, Faye, you have to do the stairs and I have to hoover the stairs and he has to maybe sweep the floor. That's what like we have to do and other things we can just do whatever we like but it's not really lighting fire to the house or like shaving off your hair or something. Good cards, oh good my cards. How, what, how much damage would that do? Seven. Seven damage. But if I block with this, Holy it'll wait, what's the What's this point? What's the score? I'm on three, he's on 20. It's an ordinary school day and Fionn, aged eight, and his friends are engaged in one of their favourite activities, the card game, Magic the Gathering. Most people, I think, play in the school. People really like it. We have a Magic the Gathering a gaming table thing. This is kind of where it's at at the moment. A lot of kids playing Magic. 
Aaron Kyohan, also known as Fox, is one of the founders of the school and has had lots of previous experience at other democratic schools. Got qualified actually as a teacher, an English mathematics teacher, and then I worked in Summerhill for two years, which is the oldest democratic school in the world, set up in 1921 by A.S. Neil. And during that time, well, I came to the conclusion that I was actually undermining the students' sense of ownership over their own learning. Because I, while I completely agreed with the governance structures and the democracy, I disagreed with the paradigm of learning, which didn't trust kids completely to know exactly what they needed to learn. And even though kids are free to choose whether to go to those classes or not, the fact that they actually are being run and the choice of like what subjects are going to be learned and the fact that some staff members are employed to do to give lessons and the fact that the whole paradigm of learning is you need to go to lessons in order to learn means that, you know, is it really a choice anymore about whether you're going to go to lessons or not? And that there was definitely students there who were feeling very guilty about not going to as many lessons and whatever. And some students going, oh, the weekends are so boring. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, you know, this teacher isn't available. When I was leaving, kids were like saying to me, like, how am I going to learn English? And I was like, Jesus, like, you know, there's something, something, something off here. I mean, I think if we didn't have an intervention like modern-day schooling, that kids would grow up feeling completely capable of learning all by themselves. And so essentially that's what we do here, is we just provide an environment in which kids can just learn about whatever they want to learn and just feel empowered and while doing so and learn about themselves along the way. Kids come here for various reasons and with differing motivations. Some weren't happy at their old school. Others just wanted to try something different. My name's Kashmir. I'm 12. I got bullied a lot in my first school and then I moved to my second school and I had a good teacher but then once that teacher left I was pretty much just staying in school for my friends and the teacher rather than for the actual work because I was very bored in school and I kept going ahead and then just not paying attention. These subjects, I'm actually interested in them and I want to learn them and it would be helpful to me to learn them because I know I'll use them for my future. It's better than learning something that I'm not interested in than being bored in class. I'm excited when I learn it. If you're surrounded with other people and they're doing other stuff, you're motivated or inspired to do stuff yourself. It feels different, like it feels completely different because I'm doing something I really, really enjoy and something that feels almost natural to me. I'm Maya, I'm 15 years old. I go to Sudbury. In school, we were being forced to write down pages and pages of notes or reciting things or having to memorize something or reading out last night's homework or listening to the teacher go on about such and such. Here, it's really a lot more free and Doing what you enjoy, it doesn't feel like work and it doesn't feel boring or you have to do it. It's, it's a lot better. My old school, they're all really rough and like pushing each other over and people getting hurt and teachers acting really mean. Some kids can be really like annoying to the teacher and not do their work and everything but I wasn't like that so I was just really shy and I didn't really hang out with anyone and yeah I was the lone person. Before this I was homeschooled so I've been homeschooled since first year and I'm in third year or would be in third year. This one works for me because I feel like there's so much stress in mainstream school and I think there's too much pressure to be under at such a young age and there's so many subjects I think a lot of my friends are in like 16 subjects at the moment. And that's a lot. I think that's a lot. 
it, it's just kind of unnatural to take children and make them sit in a classroom all day to study. I'm Rick Mettler, a staff member, and I'm a member of the startup committee also. It just doesn't work for some kids. I had the same problem when I was in school. I had problems paying attention. I, I think it feels all kids in a way because when kids are young, they're just natural learners. Young kids just suck up knowledge like a sponge. But then they're about five years old, they're put in a classroom and told, okay, you're going to sit here and we're going to teach you what you're supposed to learn. And all of a sudden that natural learning just stops. That just doesn't make any sense when kids are learning a lot to start with. For you to make them sit in a classroom all day and tell them, okay, this is what you have to learn. Because all kids don't need to learn the same things or at the same time. For many of the staff and parents who helped establish Wicklow Sudbury, this school is not merely an alternative. It's a much-needed, radical replacement for the conventional education system, a place where children are freed from what they see as the tyrannical rules and regulations of conventional schooling. I say to people sometimes, and it's always a bit of a giggle or whatever, modern schooling is actually worse than prison. At least in prison you get to decide what you read. Imagine the uproar Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International would have if we had all the prisoners in the country systematically doing activities. I mean, you're talking about labour camps now. You have that in America, but America's insane, and and that's a terrible benchmark. (laughs) Over here, we're reasonable. (laughs) I mean, depriving someone of their liberty is is one thing, but making them do something is a step beyond. It's like now you're going into the realms of torture. That's why I know it seems inflammatory, but I would say that when you're doing coercive stuff to innocent people who don't deserve it, is it so much of a stretch to say that mainstream education is torture? Well, kids have probably less rights than inmates in prisons do. They're told what they have to focus on and they have to learn stuff. That in a prison, you have rules and regulations, it's restricted, but you're sort of free about what you can think about or what you can study. You can't do that in a school and you can't leave. When you have that environment, it sort of can very easily breed a very abusive situation because there's no way out. So what makes Sudbury different? Well, it's not just that it lacks what most schools have. Classes, a curriculum, exams, even teachers. It's that the whole school is run democratically. Students and staff alike get to decide on everything from how school funds are spent to what the rules are. All of these things are decided at regular school meetings where the entire community, staff and students alike, gather. Okay. Welcome everyone. Nice to see a good turnout. Um, first thing we do is approve the minutes of the previous meeting. They're hanging up in the hall. All in favour, I'm presuming everybody has read them or was at the meeting, all in favour of approving last Thursday's meet- minutes. Most meetings at the school follow the rule of two feet. While staff must attend, students can come and go as they please. Importantly, the meetings are carried out at a pace that lets all the students, from the youngest up, follow and participate in the conversation. I was just wondering, like, is it basically we're making a plant pot out of wood? Like, that's what I'd like to do with whoever wants to do them, but um, you, can, you can make anything out of wood. That's just the project that attracts me. So there'll be tools there and wood there. I'd love to hear any other suggestions for making stuff. One important function of the school meeting is to add rules to the school's book of laws. The whole idea of Sudbury is that everything which isn't explicitly forbidden is implicitly allowed. 
This means that adding a new rule is a pretty serious endeavour and must be carefully considered. The first one is projectiles. This is Aaron's proposal. And the current situation is people are shooting people with Nerf pellets. And the proposal is aiming any projectiles such as Nerf pellets, arrows, balls at people's heads is not allowed. And the benefit is that there'll be no damage to anyone's head. Aaron, do you want to say anything on that? People were playing and it was like you got more points if you hit people in the head. So people were aiming for people's heads. Nerf guns aren't accurate. And I don't think we have any expert archers here, so if you're shooting at people, people are going to get hit in the eyes and the head. I don't have a problem with Nerf guns. I agree they shouldn't be aimed at the head. They have a lot of fun with them. I agree that arrows shouldn't be shot in the house. So the proposal is aiming any projectiles, such as Nerf pellets or balls, at people's heads is not allowed. All in favour of that amendment to the proposal? Okay, so we'll vote on that on Thursday. By this point, those of you who are parents or teachers are probably wondering about what we euphemistically call discipline. How can a democratic school prevent misbehaviour, violence and the myriad of other things that are met with punishment at a regular school? Well, the answer is that, like society at large, Sudbury has a court system, something called the JC, the Judicial Committee, and it runs just like any other court. Cases are heard, witnesses called, and verdicts decided what might surprise you is that staff and students alike can be put on trial. There's a culture, it's very important that we foster this culture, of writing complaints. That it's no big deal to write complaints. In the traditional kind of setting, if you write a complaint, you know, you're ratting out and then somebody might get punished. We don't have any of those concepts. It's no big deal to write complaints. It's not to a higher authority. It's actually to their peers. And finally, the JC doesn't punish, which is a very, very important distinction. In my old school... They had like working lunches a punishment and in this school you don't get punishments you just write something on a piece of paper and say oh I don't like this can you please stop it and then we talk and we have a meeting. So Nick wrote a complaint against you he said on the way from back from the shop Faye poked me with a stick and threw a bottle at me it really annoyed me um, have you got anything to say? Yeah I don't know. Um, so is it true? Yeah. Okay. The law broken was infringement and no one may knowingly infringe on anyone's rights to be at school free of verbal or physical harassment. How do you plead? Guilty. Can I just get your signature? So myself and Ishtara are the JC clerks and then we have three jury members. Obviously people who are not the complainant or the complainee. The crime or the victim. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of based on similar principles to a court evidence and objectivity and being judged by your peers whether or they're making a call on whether they feel a law has been broken or not. It's kind of different from a court in the sense that it has a more of a, of a restorative justice orientation to it. Billy made this complaint against Aaron and Fionn and it says Aaron took my hat and gave it to Fionn and Fionn ran away and Aaron threw balls at me. You get a certain amount of reminders and then once you reach that, I don't really know if we have a proper uh, limit, or I don't know. It's reminders to warnings and then if they, I think it's two warnings and then a sanction. So in Sudbury Valley, the founders, a lot of them came from a background in law and I think the whole JC structure came from that thinking. Joanne Lane is an Irish engineer living in America. Her son spent several years at a Sudbury Valley school in Seattle called Clearwater and she has some interesting insights into the effectiveness of the Sudbury model. You can be yourself, you can be authentic, you don't have to have this image or role. And it's not anarchy, you know, it comes from a caring of another person and a vulnerability comes out of that too. 
I, I often see kids in that environment who can be very vulnerable because they feel safe and they can show themselves and an authentic part of themselves that is rare because often people have to hide behind, you know, an image or an expectation. I think they get to know themselves very well. They get to be really clear on where their interests are, where their skills are, or the skills they might want to develop would be. And they learn that really young. You know, they're not in college and realizing they're on a course to be a dentist when really they'd rather be an engineer or something. I think they also have a, a lot of self-confidence and trust. They're given trust. So I think you learn to trust yourself by being given trust. And that's very obvious from kids who've been in this environment, even for a short length of time. I think they have a sense of themselves and confidence that's unusual in kids that age. And, and I, in talking to kids who've gone through that system and go to college, they often find other kids' peers their age seem quite immature because they're used to having ongoing conversations and play and just a lot of time to interact with kids of lots of ages. And they really understand themselves and other people in a way that not many people get to do. Kids want rules. They feel safer with rules. And they're going to be the ones advocating it more than the adults who might feel very restricted by it. We all agreed on the rules. It was the first thing in the first school meeting on like the second day or something. There are a lot of rules, but they're all like basic stuff. Like, you know, don't hurt anyone, wash up after yourself. But they have a lot of rules because they need things to be specific. Also, if we, anyone doesn't agree with any law, they can make a proposal for the school meeting to get rid of the rules. We can also vote to have absolutely no rules. Aaron was saying that that happened in the first school that he worked in, but they voted to have them back in because it was easier and better for everyone. Kids should, be, should do whatever they want to do, whatever they're interested in. That's what the school is about. It's about kids finding out what they're interested in and what they probably want to do and then they can just sit down and they can study it themselves. You know, sometimes learning a language can be important. I don't think everybody should have to. Advanced mathematics aren't necessary. I, I, I think it would be more important for kids to learn cooking and nutrition than geometry and algebra. Yeah. Uh, I think we have butter, sugar, yeah. vanilla sugar. Yeah. Have we got the cinnamon yet? Huh? Are we putting cinnamon in? No, that was no? the other one. Oh, okay. the other well, that's one. Yeah, we how make, far we've we make, got. Like, just the selection of continental Christmas biscuits. I would do this at home every Christmas time. And I thought, I'm more here than at home. Plus, I knew that some people would enjoy probably doing that. Or there was space anyway for that. So, so I just started doing them. And then before you know it, people want to help. A school like this begs the question... How can its graduates hope to fit into a world populated by people who didn't go to this kind of school? People who are used to obeying rules and regulations and having them obeyed. How can children who graduate from Sudbury move into college or indeed the workplace? What waits for them in a world designed around conformity? I, I try and keep what I've learned with like how this school works and try and keep that and sort of take it with me into the real world but I'd say it would also take some getting used to like getting a job or whatever having someone telling you again what to do after being allowed to do whatever you want but then again I could be self-employed I may not have a boss some kids will be worried that like in college it'll be so bad and in secondary school they won't be able to learn but you can actually 
physically like ask the teacher or teenagers or anything and say, can you please teach me? I don't want to be the really bad person that doesn't know maths, English and other stuff. So we just asked them and yeah, just happens. <laughs> I think they probably function better than kids who go to regular school because this is a democratic school. The kids run the school, the kids make the laws, the kids make the rules. The kids come out of the school knowing how to live in a democratic society because that's what they've been doing all through school. So they, I think they come out of school more prepared for society than kids who go to rigid schools. Access to information isn't something that's scarce nowadays, you know. There's plenty of information, there's plenty of YouTube videos that can teach you just about anything. But what's harder, in my experience, to find is a healthy community of people with healthy emotional boundaries where you can learn and develop that. I, I guess I don't want to spend my energy trying to convince people who they're just comfortable in the reality they know and they're going to stay there. But then other people are curious. You know, and I'm quite happy to talk the ear off them. While Wicklow Sudbury is the first school of its kind in Ireland, there's a long history of alternative education here, especially at primary level. The overwhelming majority of alternative schools here have been founded and run by Educate Together. Educate Together began in the 1970s. It was started by parents who did not want or were not allowed to send their kids to the Catholic-run state schools of the day. Over time, their schools developed into models of alternative, non-fee-paying education that try to provide a richer and more integrated learning experience. I'm Emer Nolan. I've been working for Educate Together for the past 10 years. Educate Together schools are national schools. That was important to the founders of the first schools. They didn't want an alternative school in the sense of a school that sat outside the state. Schools are subject to the same inspection and so on as everyone else. They follow the national curriculum the same way. Teachers are qualified in the same way. And the ethical education curriculum sits alongside the national curriculum, but is also integrated with it. So they wanted schools to be state funded so that everyone could access them regardless of their economic background. This issue of state funding versus fees is something every alternative school in Ireland has had to face. Here's Aaron explaining how Sudbury has chosen to resolve the conundrum. This is from a talk he gave at a social centre aimed at parents who might be interested in setting up their own alternative schools. What the state interprets as a minimum standard of education is in the Education Welfare Act and it's 12 criteria. These criteria include teaching the state curriculum, being inspected by and abiding by all directions issued by the Department of Education. So if you want to get any state funding for schools, you need to abide by all these criteria, including the Department of Education issuing circulars saying, this is the ratio of students to teachers, this is how big your rooms have to be, anything they want. If you just decide that you don't want to do that, you don't want to get state funds, you are termed a non-recognised school. But I prefer to call them alternative or independent schools. If you're trying to take state funds, then you're trying to be a state school. You're going to compromise what your vision is, in my opinion, so incredibly that it won't even be like an alternative school anymore. Sudbury's fee system is proportional. So depending on how much a family earns, they can pay anything between €2,400 per year and €12,000 per year. Although this is a fairer system than a flat fee, it's no inconsiderable sum and obviously stands in the way of anyone and everyone being able to send their children here. For now, all the Sudbury staff are volunteers. 
Since many of them are parents of children who are already being homeschooled, they're happy to donate their time and energy to create the best educational environment possible for their kids. But this situation can't last forever, and questions about funding and salaries are already arising within the school. The proposal is we go ice skating as a school and lifts are organised by people with big cars. And the benefit is we have fun. Would this be the school paying for it or people paying for it? Uh, the, the school paying for it. I'm not really liking the precedent of this, like the school paying for everything. We're not really on top of our finances in one sense in that we're not paying staff and we just have this pot of money now that we're, we're going to be using for rent or whatever. We haven't really said okay, this is what we need for rent, this is what we need for staff pay and the stuff that's left over, now we can decide as a community what we use that money for and it can involve school trips. But we haven't had that conversation yet. So I would nearly like just go say like, no, we're not, we're not spending any more money until we've made a decision on like how much money we want as a community to spend on community activities. This sounds like every two weeks now we're going to be doing this and now we're going to be doing ice skating and you're just bleeding money, like, you know. We'd rather be a free school, but money has to come from somewhere and we don't get supported at all by the government. Educate Together have chosen a different route, accepting finances from the government in exchange for following the national curriculum. But that doesn't mean they teach in the same way as every other school. You'll have lots of active learning approaches, lots of practical applied learning, field trips, hands-on experimental learning, project-based learning, phenomenon-based learning, where you will collapse the curriculum for maybe a week every term or maybe one day a week to explore projects that are of interest to the student or that are important in their community. So maybe, maybe they're going out and solving a problem in their community. This emphasis on learning through doing is something both Sudbury and Educate Together share. Here's Joseph Campbell, an environmental educator and researcher who helped advise the parents group that set up Wicklow Sudbury. The purpose of education in general is to provide full rounded humans who can fully engage in our society. If somebody wants to be a filmmaker, well, the best thing they can do is make films. If your school doesn't let you make films, then you might not have the confidence when you leave school to go and make films. If the school that you're in facilitates you making films, you probably get more experience and possibly feel more confident. Do all schools have the time to allow you to do that? I think schools are structured on 40-minute classes. Even if you have a double period film this week, is all the rest of it extracurricular that you have to do? Do they provide you the equipment? I don't know if the schooling system is as flexible as that. That was a particularly big challenge when it came to our second level schools in, in terms of learner-centred experience at second level in Ireland. The exam focus is so strong and so that's a big challenge for our second level teachers. Bringing the curriculum to life, making the learning relevant for the students requires a huge amount of detailed planning to make sure that you can facilitate students to do that kind of project-based learning. At second level it's more challenging. We have found that we have had to focus more on integrated learning, on applied learning, on cross-curricular work. While there are good examples of that going on in, in second level schools in Ireland, the system doesn't really lend itself towards that. While people might have wanted to move quite far away from high-stakes testing, there is an element of that that remains. So that's a big challenge for us in advocating for the space for our schools to be innovative. Azima reminds us, even within state schools, education has radically changed in recent years and is still changing. There is broad consensus, I would say, across 
educationalists, business leaders, charities and NGOs advocating for equality, that what we need to be moving towards is a more learner-centred experience that's grounded in lifelong learning skills. I mean, we, we don't need any more people who can remember large amounts of content. The pace of change can be frustrating, certainly for young people who are going through the system and saying this just is not relevant anymore. It, that can be very frustrating. There is a perception that things are changing, but actually, if you look at the primary school sector, Educate Together schools still account for less than 3%, and there are still six counties in Ireland where there is no alternative to denominational education. So if you're living in County Leitrim, you would say, no, things aren't changing. I'm very interested in the fact that there are new models of school opening even outside the Educate Together network. We would certainly perceive massive demand for change at any time. We would have around 20,000 names on our waiting lists. Several months have gone by and the first year of Wicklow Sudbury is almost at a close. I rejoined the staff and students to find out what's changed, what's been learnt and what their plans are for the future. The annual hiring of staff is an important feature of Sudbury schools as it allows students a say in terms of what adults they want to be present in their school. So is everybody clear on that? Luke? Why are we voting? Why? Yeah. If you don't like a staff member and you wouldn't rather them not be in the school next year, this is your opportunity to, to vote against them, to say, no, I don't want them. This is your school and it's important that you have a say in what adults are going to be in your school too. So you can vote, yes, I'd like them to be here or no, I wouldn't like them to be here. And importantly, two thirds of the students have to say that they want the staff member to be here in order for them to remain part of the school. Why did they have this in regular schools. Why are you here? I don't know. Because I don't want to go to those schools. No, seriously, they are pretty bad for me. At the moment, our building is really small and we've made it work. I don't know how we managed to because our house, it's only three people in our house at the moment at home and it's smaller than this and we kill each other. But here, it's completely different. I mean, we we have our times when it just gets really frustrating, but also we have these great times when everybody just gets together and does stuff. So the main thing that's been happening in the last couple of months was the ongoing search for premises. We didn't think it would take as long as it did, but we finally found a place where we're going to be moving till from September. We were all the time thinking, what are we willing to compromise? What are our non-negotiables? And in the end, we got everything we wanted. It has a beautiful private garden, enough space uh, inside. It's got a nice warmth to it, but it's still quite airy and bright and really sympathetic land owner. Immediately, this woman was, I love the concept. I love what you're doing. And yeah, that was that was a huge bonus and very unexpected. <laughs> guitar skills am I right yeah we'll be able to practice uh, a lot more than it won't be as unofficial uh, more space to learn new instruments that'll be good and we have like a bunch of instruments to put in the room it would be nice at some point to get like a microphone so that we can really bother them <laughs> everybody spent the first few months getting to know each other then there was a lot more figuring out how do we do this and what what makes us the community we are. I mean, it's a very intensely social environment to be in and that can be challenging for some kids, but I suppose as they got to know each other, that relaxed a bit more. I decided, well, I've proposed this and Erin said I can announce it, that I was thinking for school scouts. So basically on Thursday, three o'clock till 3.30, we learn about shelter or 
how to make a fire and building shelters, learning how to survive in the wild because you don't know what's going to happen in the world. It might go corrupt and we won't have houses and stuff. And I'm just teaching people how to do that and how to survive. And yeah, because I'm learning it in actual cubs. So thinking maybe we could have a camp on some year, something like that. And yeah, I just would like to announce that. So who will teach the fire skills and the shelter building? Anna. Can I as well? I'm a fire school leader. So I had to do modules and all of that. Very boring stuff. I'd actually really like to just do it. Basically, people can just teach whatever they know. So basically, you're going to have this red and white thing when you go on Thursday. It's like a neckerchief, something like that. And you have to wear that. If you don't wear that, you have to sit out of one of the things for five minutes. Maybe we should come up with our own name instead of Scouts. Yeah. Do you know, in England, there was a split at at one point after the Second World War, I think it was. Some members of the scouting community felt that it was too military. So they broke away. And I think it's called something lovely like Woodcraft Folk. So it's much more just the stuff you're talking about there, Faye, of being in nature and building cool stuff. There was one project that was ongoing you can see the remains of it here. Oh my God, it was intense. And we all witnessed it. It was amazing to see the intensity of their involvement in it. And then after months of doing working away on these notebooks and drawings, there was a, an hour-long lecture by two nine and ten-year-old boys. It was really, really exciting and very inspiring for a lot of the other students as well. So basically I got inspired by my friend Billy over there and he was doing a dinosaur project and he felt kind of left out about his dinosaur because nobody else was learning about dinosaurs so I just thought "Mm, maybe I'll join in and I just got really interested and we have dinosaur bones in school that I did not realise and they're fossils and they're really cool. I got really interested and then I started drawing, started writing about it. There's fossils here and there's a diplodocus, it's a sauropod, it's a herbivore dinosaur and there's um, bones of it. I have no clue, I just found them here and it said fossils and I was really interested. I have a stone and it's got crystals inside the stone and it's about Billy. How old is the Jurassic, how long is that ago? 240 million years ago um, a stone is that how old it is that is a real dinosaur bone these are real fossils it's like why would they have a diplodocus bone in the actual in school like that would be have to be in like a museum or something I want to be an archaeologist the element of self-directed learning really has been starting to come into play it's kind of more linear way of thinking about learning has slowly been crumbling away and they're much more able to understand this is valid learning. Once I have something that I am passionate about, it's a lot easier to find that motivation because it's something that you want to learn about. Then I'll go and I'll find out as much as I can about it. I mean, sometimes like I do have my days, I think everyone else does, where you just don't have any motivation to do anything or you just don't have the energy or the time or you just don't feel like doing it. And that's what's great about here is that you can do what you know that you can manage in a day. And that's really healthy because in a mainstream school, I mean, half the stuff I didn't want to learn, I had no interest in. And you'd be sitting in a classroom and none of it would go into your head, but this much greater learning experience. And then the fact that you can talk about it with people, that also helps to learn other stuff as well. Because I think when you have a discussion with someone about it and when you're giving your own opinions on something, that information is going to stick. And then if someone says something, you'll go and look that up or research around it. This way of learning is definitely not for everybody. Some people I know, they need that structure in the day. For myself, 
I would never have learned anything that I've learned in this school if I was still in mainstream school. And I think the stuff that I've learned here is much more valuable lesson than being in a classroom and just learning about like the counties or something. I've changed so much as a person. I mean, um, before I was at the school, I'd never started a debate or be involved in a debate. I kind of just accept what I was told, but now I have the ability to make my point heard. I've learned so much that like my opinion does count here, and that changes like, how I how I am in the real world. We went to the European Sudbury uh, workshop. Nina, the singer-songwriter behind 99 Red Balloons, herself and her partner set up the school. They put in a few million and bought a big house and stuff. So it's a really nice venue for the workshop. About 10 other Sudbury schools from around Europe came. Biggest thing that I brought back from Hamburg was just knowing that I'm so lucky to have this community and that no matter like what comes up, that we'll always find a way around it and a fair way around it because everybody gets an opinion and everybody gets a vote and we're all equal. It was cool seeing like a fully formed Sudbury school, knowing what we could become in the future. They had a lot more students than us and a much bigger building. Student numbers, yeah, that's the, the big one. Twelve of the students from this year are continuing on with us. We have about the same again on a waiting list for this coming year, but it won't be immediately doubling the student body overnight. We can't do that. It can be challenging for some of them how to be in this, this new kind of environment and community. Staggering the, the new students coming in makes it easier for them to get comfortable being here and for us to make sure that, that their needs are being met. They'll grow up and they'll always have been connected to this yeah. thing and they'll never know what it's like not to be connected right. to that part of the, that authentic part of themselves. So all we do here is just let them be. Just, just let them be. Just let the kids be, man. Super, super hippie. I began this documentary in part because of my own experiences at school. I was a very unhappy student. All the pressures to conform, the uniforms, compulsory subjects, the need to fit in, the early mornings, the streaming, the testing, all of it just made me want to rebel. I found it difficult to focus on subjects I wasn't interested in. And it really wasn't until college that I began to succeed academically. The ability to learn what I was interested in, at my own pace, not being forced to do things, made university a radically different experience. But not all children are the same. My time at Sudbury has, if anything, opened up my mind to the possibility that for many children, regular old-fashioned schooling might be enough, especially since it's changed so much. At the beginning of this documentary, I played a montage of children who go to conventional schools talking about what they don't like about them. But that's not the whole story. The truth is that those kids were a lot happier than I remember being. And they had a lot of positive things to say about their school experience too. I like to do art and um, drama and I like creative English as well. It's where you create like novels and um, maybe write some stories and use your imagination. So my favourite parts of school is art and PE and I love having no homework. <laughs> yeah. My favourite subject is maths and sometimes I like English. When we do reading time and handwriting. What do you think about your teachers? She's really nice and she never shouts. Ultimately, what Sudbury teaches us is that when kids are given the choice about where to go, how to learn and indeed what to study, they are more motivated better integrated and happier. For some kids, a school like this may well be ideal, 
a school that prizes freedom and creativity above convention. For others, regular old school, with its bells, its classes, and yes, its homework and exams, may be just the ticket. Now everybody's gonna hear how bad I am. <laughs>